What if I told you that you have the power to make a profound impact in your community? Welcome to Voice to Change podcast by Jane Doe No More. We're glad you're here. I'm Jocelyn Mementa, and our podcasts feature powerful stories from survivors of sexual crimes, as well as specialists in the field of trauma and healing. Our goal is to provide hope, resources, and the ability for you to play a role in creating positive, meaningful change for a safer world. Thanks for listening. We all benefit from the digital world. We can stay connected with family and friends. Information is at our fingertips, and there's convenience. You can shop online, but there is some real evil out there. Meet Kelly Nagel talking about the danger she encountered in the online world. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. First of all, talk, tell us more about what brought you to Jane Doe No More. Well, I found out about the organization while I was in grad school, actually, and I was really attracted to the fact that they offer not only education to help others, but also support. And it's just such an organization full of people who understand you, what you went through, even though everyone's story is completely different. There's that camaraderie and understanding there that not everyone can understand. And so when I decided to get involved, it was really refreshing and welcoming. And yeah, it was just, it was great. That's Were you really looking for an organization like Jane Doe No More? I didn't realize I was. Um, and then I learned about it and was curious. My my curiosity was certainly piqued. And so when I did my first event and I came to a first event and met everyone, I, I realized I was looking for that unconsciously. Well, what piqued your curiosity? I think it's because going through what I went through, um, it's not something you can talk to about with everyone. And sometimes you do just have to talk about it. And I was like, so some of these people might kind of understand what I went through. And I also was in a place of my healing where I wanted to help others. And I knew that I could help others through this organization as well. You were at a point in your life when you were ready to share your story with more people? Exactly. Yes. I presume you actually shared your story with others before going public. I had. It was actually quite a public situation. So a lot of people knew about it. And I had gotten to the point where I was comfortable with talking about it with strangers, people in my life. Let's share your story with everybody else who's listening. Where do you want to start? So I guess I'll start. It was about 10 years ago. A friend of mine recommended I try online dating. I was a little hesitant, as I think everyone even in this day and age is. But was that your first time? It was. I may have tried it maybe once before, but I wasn't, I, I definitely wasn't very involved in it. I didn't know a lot about it. So I thought, what the heck? What's the worst that can happen? Maybe I will actually meet a nice guy. Um, because obviously you've heard of other people's experiences. Oh, absolutely. I've been in weddings of friends who have met online and their husbands were amazing and they're still married to this day, 15, 20 years later. So I thought it was worth a shot anyway. So I started speaking with a guy and he was very normal, very boy next door looking. Um, and the way he spoke to me was very respectful, very considerate. We talked about normal things. He wasn't creepy or outrageous didn't give off a vibe of 
maybe I shouldn't meet this person or anything like that. What was it about him that you decided you wanted to pursue this a bit? I would presume also that you probably had others reaching out to you about yeah. a possible date. Absolutely. He was, um, well, he was attractive. He was, he took care of himself. He was my type. And he was also, he seemed very mature. He wasn't, he was very respectful, very respectful. And it, it just seemed like a person I wanted to know more about. So we were both very busy. Uh, we decided to go for a quick drink on, a, I believe, Wednesday night, maybe around six o'clock, just for an hour or so, get to know each other for a minute, kind of a preliminary, see if we actually vibe or not. So I met him at a... Um, pub grill that was down maybe 20 minutes from my home. It was a very busy Wednesday night too. And I did everything I thought was right. I just parked right in front, right under a light, tried to keep myself safe. Did you share with your friends that you were meeting somebody? Absolutely. My best friend, she knew that was happening. This was also back in 2012. So there weren't as many uh, safety features on iPhones or anything like uh, tracking and whatnot. It was kind of the early days of iPhones. So um, so I found him. He was already there and he had a big smile on his face. I sat there. I ordered a beer and uh, I, I was nervous. And so when I'm nervous, I tend to talk a lot. We have a very normal conversation. He wasn't creepy. He wasn't perpy. Uh, we talked about our jobs, our families, very normal first date conversation. Beyond what he shared with you online or in this dating app, did you try to get more information about him? Not initially. I, I didn't really think I needed to. I was like, this is going to be a quick drink. If a, even a drink, it's going to be very quick. I have work in the morning. He has work in the morning. It'll be in and out really just interested and curious about this, about this guy. Um, and it was very quick at the end of the day. I thought he was very attractive, very nice guy, but I wasn't really feeling like anything romantic towards him. So I, after about an hour, we got up and, um, we were going out the door. He was, I believe six, five and I'm five, four. So I was very surprised at how tall he was. <laughs> we walked out and I went to say goodnight. I kind of gave him a sort of side hug, kind of platonic. Thank you for, for the night. Um, hug. And at that point, he did grab me around my waist and pull me into his car on the side of the parking lot. And at that point, I did try to tell him no. And um, and at that point, he did push himself on me and rape me. Was there anybody nearby? There wasn't. He was actually very smart about it. He parked in a very unlit side part of the parking lot. There weren't any other cars around. I parked where all the other cars were and he parked. It was planned. What happened afterwards? Um, afterwards, I grabbed my clothes and got out of the car, kind of in shock that that actually happened. No one ever thinks it's going to happen to them and that would never happen to me. And then I got into my car and drove very slowly, shaking and crying to my home I called my best friend when I got there and she cried on the phone with me. I was still in shock that this didn't actually happen. This, I, I, how could this have happened? I went out there looking to meet a nice guy, potentially. Didn't think really anything of it. And then my world was turned upside down in an hour. Were you able to pursue anything after that? 
So I did actually, the next day, I was, of course, very depressed, very withdrawn. Something told me to tell my mom. My mom is a nurse. And so she immediately went into nurse mode and she took me to the emergency room where they have a special room specifically for sexual assault. At that point, a special nurse called a sane nurse came in and gave me an exam. They're specialized in these and how to treat victims of sexual violence um, because we really need to be treated in a specific way after such a trauma has occurred. They called the police, of course, and a detective came in. I gave him the information. He did reach out to the perpetrator who, of course, denied everything that happened. And the detective at that point convinced me not to press charges. It would be in, not in my best interest. I was so depressed and anxious, and I just wanted it to go away at that point that I um, I said, fine, that's fine. I just <laughs> want this to go away. So I didn't at that point. Fast forward about three years, I had gone through some intensive therapy with an amazing therapist who specialized in sexual violence. I was in a very, very good place. And I got a phone call from an assistant district attorney who told me that he had struck again. She found my report and she really needed my help from where because he has struck multiple times. And at that point, I was happy to do it. I was like, I'm ready. Let's do this. I've been doing the work. I'm happy to do it. Uh, so I had to testify in motions and then also in the trial itself. And luckily he was put away for life. Tell us what that was like being in that courtroom looking at that person? It was another trauma. It, uh, it just reeled me back in. It was, I, I will say it was worth it. He's in prison. He's been uh, punished for everything he's done to multiple women and he can't ever hurt anyone else again. So that is, that's when I'm happy to do it and I would do it all over again. But it was another trauma. It was, it was terrifying, it was stressful. I, bawled hysterically when I was done. Somehow I kept myself together on the, st- on the stand, but as soon as I was outside of the courtroom, I just bawled hysterically. But it was worth it in the end. You refer to it as digital danger. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? So digital danger is, I think it's so easy for assailants to find to find potential victims digitally because they have so much more they can hide behind. They can hide behind whether they're a catfish maybe, or like I said before, no one thinks this is going to happen to them. They go into dating online or, or meeting someone on Instagram or whatnot with all good intentions. No one thinks, well, I'm just going to get hurt. They think, oh, maybe I'll need not only a romantic partner, but a friend or um, even a colleague, who knows? So when I say digital danger, I feel like there is more that you need to do to protect yourself because there's more that the perpetrators have in their arsenal digitally. Why do you think he targeted you? I don't think it was me specifically. I think he is just, he's a victimizer. He, as we know, often rape is about power and that is what he wanted. He wanted to feel powerful. And that's why he hurt women his whole entire life, we found out. Fast forward, like you said, you were in graduate school. Yes. And you heard what the organization Jane Doe No More was all about. Yes. Yes. Have you found comfort? 
Absolutely. Oh my gosh. It's like I said, everyone's story is so different. So many different things happen to them, but we all often feel very similar, maybe not the same, but similar emotions from fear to shame, to disgust, to terror, PTSD, and to feel that camaraderie and just meet people who love you and totally understand what you have gone through, what you may still be going through emotionally. Um, it's, it's amazing. And it's such a gift. What advice are you sharing with folks to stay safe while dating online? So um, I think a few things that you want to do is there's Google the person that you're speaking with. You can search by image. If the person's image is attached to multiple identities, you're likely dealing with the scammer. A lot of people use background checks. Uh, One of my best friends, if she meets a guy online or her friend meets a guy in a bar, she's, she's on it. She's immediately background checking them. And she has found some very interesting things. So that's something also that I think is a great tool um, to have. I, I don't know if there's any free, but if, if there is any, it's, it's a nominal fee. Also take a look at their social accounts, any account with a low number of friends or lack of photos, including family or friends, it's likely fake. If you're meeting someone in person, do it in public. A restaurant or a coffee shop is a good choice. You shouldn't give out your address until you've established a trusted relationship. But you did choose a very public place. I did, yes. So I think one thing that um, I did not have at my disposal at that point in time, but people do, and what I do now, my friends and I all do this with each other, is if we're going out and meeting someone for any in any capacity, we share our locations with each other. One of my best friends went out on a date with a guy actually the other night, and I was literally tracking her every 20 or 30 minutes. At one point, she wasn't even moving for a good hour. I found out she was at his house and everything was fine. They they just clicked and everything was great. But I was panicking. <laughs> so I think making sure at least one person is tracking you. Is... Well, I've heard of friends actually being close by physically. Yeah, that too. I've um, I've had friends who've gone, gone on the date as well, maybe incognito or pretend that they're another diner or if it's at the movies, they're just at the movies. So just making sure you're not alone, whether it's digitally or in the physical, make sure someone knows absolutely where you are, what your plan is, and and make sure you know, that you're, you're safe that way. You also recommend do not drink a pre-ordered drink. Yes, absolutely. And it's, um, that brings me back to my story. My um, assailant, he, we found out he was drugging women. I don't know if he drugged me or not. I had ordered my beer he did, he did not order it. And I also had maybe one sip, one or two sips. So if he did, it wouldn't have affected me, but definitely do not accept a pre-order drink, order it yourself, keep an eye on it. If you run to the restroom, maybe bring it with you. If you're with friends, make sure a friend's holding on to it, but keep an eye on it. On the dating app, do you generally share a cell number? Absolutely not. One thing that is great is I believe it's called a Google phone number. It's free and it's just a random phone number that you can be connected with someone with, but it's not your real phone number. So it keeps you safe. We already talked about making sure you talk to a friend that you are having this date, but you also say to create a code word. Yes. A code word is great to do in case you... Maybe need an escape plan. Maybe you feel uncomfortable um, voicing that 
you're uncomfortable with an individual. So maybe say pineapple or I'm in the mood for pineapple pizza, for an example. And your friend say, oh, oh, you know what? Me too. Actually, I really have to get home early. We need to leave now. And of course, when you do meet up with this person, you should always drive separately. Absolutely. Do not let them pick you up because you don't want them to know where you live. And also, yeah, m- make sure that you uh, arrive separately, leave separately, and just don't give enough information for them to really know who you are or where you live. Now that you share your story in public, do you share everything or do you hold back a little bit? Um, I don't share everything. It is quite a long story. When I do speak to people about it, I I try to uh, make it to something they might understand. Maybe if someone has confessed to me that they are going through something similar, or if I'm speaking to a school, I might kind of They don't need to know about the trial and everything like that. I just try to make it so people understand what could possibly happen or if something has happened to them to understand that there's someone out there that that understands what they're going through. Let's talk about children. Sure. They're always on all these different types of sites, TikTok to everything, Instagram. There's so many now. So many. (laughs) It's so hard to keep up. What advice do you have? for children? What do they need to be doing? Yeah. So I think one big thing is communication. Just talking openly with your child about their online activities. Don't let them feel shameful or that they have to hide anything. As soon as your child starts accessing the internet, talk to them about what they're reading, watching, who they're communicating with online, and keep the conversation going as they continue to grow older. Keep screen and devices where you can see them. Always monitor your child's time online. Particularly younger children, keep the computer in a central spot in the home where it's easy to keep an eye on and what your child is doing. Also, there's many parental controls out there that are extremely helpful. Innocent searches online can lead to not-so-innocent results, as we talked about even for adults as well. So it's wise to know how to use the parental controls and search restrictions offered by web browsers, internet service providers, and devices. Although they're not always 100% accurate, parental controls can help prevent your child from seeing and accessing most violent and sexual material. Another thing, know who your children's online friends are. As we talked about with Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, there's so many communities out there. Mm -hmm. And as adults, we know that some people online aren't who they say they are, but children and young people can be alarmingly naive about who they are chatting with if they are not taught to be cyber wise. Absolutely. They can get sucked in. Absolutely. I mean, they're, they, they haven't lived enough to understand that there's bad out there. I mean, everyone's good to them. You can say it, but they're not really absorbing Mm -hmm. that. Yes. In the way you would want them to. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Another thing may be share aware to protect your privacy. If your child is a regular user of social networks, they must be aware of the risk of potential information or images being made public once they post it. And teach your children to keep their location private, just as we talked about not letting people know where you live, your phone number. Uh, Most apps, networks, and devices have geotagging features, which make your whereabouts public and can lead someone directly to you. Also, keep track of time online. Monitor your child's online time, particularly younger children, to ensure that they do not develop bad habits. Also, educate yourself on ways to be safe on social networks so that you can give the best advice for your children. What other dangers should children know about? I think 
some things are they need to think about or parents need to think about. Children do often give away information without thinking or knowing the consequences because why would they? They're children. They also get sucked into a world of online games and um, dangerous online twins. Even us adults often do online games and there's there's so... Well, they're extremely popular. They're so popular. They're addicting. They're relaxing sometimes. <laughs> and so you you let your guard down. Absolutely. That's the whole thing. You let your guard down. Why would you have to um, keep your guard up when you're just relaxing, playing a game. So they could meet a predator who's posing as a child. Yes. uh, Just so they can make a new friend. Yes, absolutely. That's a very big thing predators in the digital age often do is they pose as children or as teens looking to make friends by using children's photos or children and teen lingo, they're they're very smart and they know what they're doing. And there's also the possibility of the predator sharing nude images. Oh, absolutely. So um, they open themselves up to cyberbullying as well, um, sexting and sharing these nude images that they're not asking for or looking for. But uh, like we just said, predators are out there pretending to be these children and teens. And so they get these children to trust them enough to where they will send these things and draw them in. What should a parent say when a child pushes back a bit? Just you have to push back with them, take their iPad away or their iPhone. And it's so hard to do because you want to make your children happy. You don't want to upset them. You want them to be out in the world and meet people, of course, but they are probably going to push back because that's how kids are. But it's so important to just stay on track with that and just build that trust, though. I think it's important that parents also build that trust with their children. And I think another big part of it is communication again, making sure they don't feel like they have to hide anything, like they can talk to you about these things, that you won't get mad at them. What you're saying is communication is key when it comes to a parent and a child talking about access to the online world. Absolutely. I think that's the absolute key because like we said, children are naive and they don't understand how the world works. And of course, they're not going to really believe that parents know that either. But none of us ever did. <laughs> but but just keep communicating with them. Try to help them understand they don't realize anything that they put online is nearly impossible to remove later. The dangers of social media are especially daunting. It is hard for teenagers in particular to consider how a party picture or a Snapchat message could cause problems 10 years down the road when they interview for a new job or how a prospective partner might respond to personal content that they can post to their social media profiles or other websites. When you talk to young teens, what do they say to you after you share your story? Um, it's interesting. It's really the, I've had people come up to me and tell me that things have happened to them and it's so refreshing and great to hear someone else talk about it. I feel like it lets go of a lot of shame and guilt that is their fault at what their story and what happened to them was. To hear someone talk about their story and that it actually happened to other people without their own fault. It's it's so easy to look at yourself and be like, well, I did this for this to happen or it's my fault that happened. But if you hear someone else say, this happened to me and it wasn't my fault, you're like, absolutely right. It wasn't your fault. So I have had teens say, you know, thank you for sharing. It's made me feel better. I've also had some amazing questions from teens. It's been, it's been a great experience sharing. 
What are some of those questions? Can you share? Um, yeah, I've, I've had a question from, uh, it was interesting. My very first time sharing was with an all-male athletic group from Cheshire Academy. And I had this one, and they were amazing. They were so grateful and they were so um, kind and and they listened. I was scared. There's a bunch of teenage boys, you know, think, oh, they're going to be so bored and not want to hear about this. But they were amazing and very respectful. And I had one guy say, you know, what do I do if a girl wants to mess around and we're both super drunk? And I explained to him, you put her to bed and you give her water and Advil and you call her in the morning and she will love you. <laughs> and he ate it up. He said, oh, oh, okay. And so I think sharing messages like that and helping especially young men understand because they are just coming out into this world and help them understand. They're all learning about themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. As we all are as teens. And I think hearing stories that has happened to others that they don't even realize what's happening because of course maybe they would never ever do something like this so they don't understand this would happen it's really i think important that they do understand this does happen going back to the dating app which started this whole topic was that the first and only time for you um it wasn't i have gone on dating apps since i just have been extremely cautious someone always knows where i am they don't get any of my information, uh, my personal information, other than my first name, maybe. But I'm I'm much more cautious. I'm much more aware of my surroundings. So I, I wouldn't say don't ever use them. It's it's such a part of our culture and society. And it's so hard to date nowadays anyway. You know, so many people are on them. It's just very important to really take care of yourself and understand your surroundings. Trust your instinct. Absolutely. That's number one. Trust your gut. If something feels off, leave immediately. Don't don't worry about what people think or what the guy or girl is thinking. It does not matter. If your gut is off, you leave immediately. It's over. Have you found that forever connection? No, not yet. <laughs> Are you still using dating apps? Um, I am casually. I'm not I I'm not on them a lot, but um I have here and there. What do you want to share that we haven't talked about? I think we've shared a lot. I think it's, like I said, communication and trusting your gut and um, your surroundings and making sure someone knows where you are at all times. Just keep yourself safe out there. Kelly Nagel, thank you so much for sharing your story. I'm sure it was a difficult thing for you to do, but you ended in such a high note. You're, and you're extremely optimistic about life. I am. Um, I, I am. I I will say if you do find yourself in a situation where you have been hurt by another, I encourage you to talk to someone about it as hard as it is. Talk to someone about it, a therapist, a friend, a parent, a hotline. And it, it's so helpful. It may not seem like it. It may be scary, but you have no idea how much it would help. Kelly Nagel, thank you so much. Thank you. And to our listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast, Please share it with your friends and leave us a review on Spotify to help the podcast grow. We really appreciate it. Thank you for choosing to listen to the Voice to Change podcast by Jane Doe No More. We would love for you to share this episode with your friends. You can find more resources and learn about our programs at janedonomore.org. Follow us on social media. We look forward to staying connected.